0: Father we've we've come before you today we've gathered we have gathered before you we need to be re- refreshed we need to behold you and encounter you this morning and so i pray that by the power of your spirit that you would remove the distractions from our hearts and our minds the regrets from the past week, maybe even last night and the fears and anxieties of the week ahead. Lord, just remove those things so that we may hear from you, make our hearts receptive to your word and we need you to speak into our hearts and more than anything, we need to see Jesus. So I pray that in your word in your pa- in in this passage that we would see Jesus as Jesus taught, Every single word of the Bible is about me. So let us see him that our hearts would be moved to worship and joy so that we would be changed. So come and meet with us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So kids, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. It's kind of an obvious fact, but there are things that we do in life that we do because they're a duty. That is, we have to do them. We're required to do them. It's our responsibility. And then there's other things that we do in life that we do because it's our delight. We just enjoy doing it. We like to do it. We want to do it. Nobody has to coerce us or tell us to do it. We do it because we just find pleasure and joy in that thing. So just to think about a few examples here, if you get that, are you following that, kids? Would you say that brushing your teeth is a duty or a delight? Yeah. A duty, H says. Thank you for the honesty up front. Yes. Yeah, well, let me ask a second one. You can ask the second one. Would you say that going to school, Drew, is a duty or a delight? A duty, yeah, honesty. Yes, thank you. What about... Uh, playing sports, would you say, kids, that's a duty or a delight? Do you play sports because somebody's making you or because you want to? Zeke. It's a delight. That's right. What about playing with your friends? Duty or delight? Delight. You see, there's so many things in life that you can really put into one of those two categories. Either we do it because we know we're supposed to and we have to and all of those things. It's a good thing to do. It's our responsibility. Or, and by the way, grown up, you realize this works for our life as well. There are so many things that we do simply because we love them, because they bring us pleasure, because we delight in them, because we want to. It's our pleasure to do so. Now, we've been in a sermon series that we're calling Enjoying God. We're doing a sermon series in the book of Psalms where we're really trying to get at uh, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? What does it mean to grow and deepen in an intimacy with God and nearness to Him? And and the Psalms are really perfect for helping us to do that because they're they're literally people who are inviting us into their relationship with God, and they shape our relationship with God. But I wonder if and I kind of did this on purpose, calling it enjoying God is a bit puzzling. I mean, even to think about that concept, to think about the concept of God being someone that you enjoy, in fact, that being the biggest enjoyment of your life, that seems a little odd from the normal reality of our life. I mean, even as we think about that, and this is, by the way, a very, very important thing to us as a church, because our mission as a church begins with enjoying Jesus. That's our mission, that before we are ever moved out to do anything to serve, to give our lives away, that all of that begins with enjoying Jesus together as a community. So this is very important to understand this dynamic here. But I think it's hard to imagine what does it mean to enjoy God because I think for most of us, most of the time, God tends to fall into that category of duty. Now we would never say this out loud, of course, but so often as we think about God, as we think about following God and serving God and obeying God and approaching God and all of those things that it feels more like a duty than a delight. Think about it for a minute. Why why do we go to church? So often is the reason we go to church because We just can't wait to get there because what? We're going to get to enjoy, that we're going to find pleasure in the Lord, or is it because we know we're supposed to? Because it's a good thing to do. I mean, it's kind of unpolite, I understand, to say this out loud, but really, if we're honest about our hearts, how often do we do it because we know we're supposed to? Or even about prayer. I mean, so I think prayer's a great example. So often do we do prayer because it's like, Something that we run to for joy and pleasure in and of itself, or is it something that we know that we ought to do more of? Or even reading God's Word. Is it something that we do simply for the pleasure that we find in God in it, or is it something that we know that we're supposed to do? Part of what we see in our passage today is we look at Psalm 96, which is really all about worship is that we see that really at the heart of a relationship with God is not duty. Now that's not that's there, that's not bad. We're going to see that in the passage. Duty is not a bad thing. Don't mishear me here. But what we're going to see is that the essence of a relationship with God is worship. Is coming to worship Him. And that the essence of worship is enjoying God. That is just finding pleasure and delight in Him. Not in what He gives, but just in who He He is. And Psalm 96 is an incredible picture of this. So let's jump in and look at our passage together. Psalm 96, again, a tremendous picture of worship. And in that way, if you step back and you look at the Psalms, really, the most dominant theme in the Psalms is worship. I mean, even those Psalms, as we looked at a few weeks ago, that are Psalms of lament, which is like a holy complaint to the Lord. You're in a terrible situation. You're pouring out your heart to the Lord. But yet, almost every one of them ends with praise and worship. Really, worship is the the heart of all the Psalms. And Psalm 96 is a tremendous picture of this. Now, as we think about that word and that concept of worship, it's kind of a churchy word. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean to worship? And throughout the psalm, we get all these different angles on worship. Almost every single verse throughout this psalm is talking about an aspect of what it means to worship. Look again at the passage. Verses 1 and 2 describe worship as singing to God. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, verse two, and praise His name. So it's singing. Worship is singing when we gather together to worship God here at church. What do we do? A lot, lot of we sing to Him. That's a fundamental aspect of worship. But it's also praise, verse three. Declare His glory among the nations. Worship is declaring the worth of who He is. Uh. Verse 7, verse 7 and 8, tremendous verses here, ascribe to the Lord. To ascribe is to attribute something to someone. It's to acknowledge something that's already true. And the psalmist is saying, ascribe to him glory and strength. In other words, declare this, worship this, because this is who he is. Verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Interesting in verse 8, this aspect of worship Now, we say this all the time in our worship services, but this proves it here. This is why we say it. Verse 8, right in the middle of our worship services, you know, whenever we come to the time of offering, almost every single week, we're saying some version of, hey, guys, this is worship. What we're about to do is worship. Look at what he says in verse 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What is an aspect of ascribing glory to him? Second part of that verse, bring an offering and come into his courts. It's worship. One aspect of worship is taking treasure that belongs to me and bringing it and handing it over to him. That is an act of worship because it is declaring his worth is greater than what I possess. So over and over and over throughout the passage, we see these different angles on what it means to worship. The entire psalm is about worship. In fact, you might even say that all the book of Psalms is about worship, and worship is the very heart of our relationship with god and what is worship it 's simply declaring the worth and the value of something when you boil it all down that 's what worship is it 's declaring the value and the worth of something now here 's the second thing to see throughout the passage: we are being commanded to worship the whole psalm is doing that. It is speaking commands to us. They're imperatives, if you remember English class. What is an imperative? An imperative is something that you are being told to do, and the psalmist is doing that throughout the passage. Sing to the Lord. He's telling us to sing to Him, to declare His praises, to bring an offering, to ascribe glory and honor to Him, to assign it to Him. All of these things He is commanding us to worship Him. So you see, the reality is, worship is our duty. We are called to worship. We are commanded to worship. We were created to worship God. To declare His glory, His worth, His value. In fact, that's what it means to be a human. So much of our world is running after all kinds of things, trying to find itself and say, what does it mean to be a human? What do I exist for? And it's just as simple as that. I exist to glorify God, to magnify Him and who He is. I am created for worship. And now why is that? Because it's His due. You also see that in the passage. Look again at... Uh, I lost it. Oh, here we go. Verse 8 again. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. It's explicit there and implicit throughout the passage. We worship God not just because that's something that we're supposed to do. We worship God because that is His due. It belongs to Him. Because He is the most supremely valuable being in all of the universe. To worship God is to do the only right thing that there is. When we see something of incredible value, you very naturally feel, I I need to acknowledge this. I need to see it. I need to declare it. Well, whenever you take God, who is of infinite worth and value, to worship him is his due. Because there's simply nothing else in all of the universe that even comes close to the weight of his value and worth. So worship is something that we're made for. is something that we're created for. It is our duty. It is His due. It's what belongs to Him. But here's what I really want to focus on in the passage. And this is critical to see about worship. Worship is never merely duty. If it is merely duty, it is not worship. Because at the essence of worship is delight. It is enjoying that whatever you're worshiping. It's at the very heart of it. Let me give you an illustration that kind of brings this out, hopefully. You know, say it's our anniversary, Ashley and I's anniversary. I've used this illustration before, but it's very good at helping to understand this. Our anniversary is uh, January 8th, which just happens to be Elvis's birthday. You know, maybe or maybe not by design for us. But say it's January 8th, and it's our anniversary, and say, I come home, and say, this husband gets a clue, and I come home with flowers. And I walk in the door, and Ashley sees that I thought about her, that I'm delighting in her, and she's filled with joy, and she's, oh, she said, you remembered. She says, ah, they're beautiful. Thank you. I love you. And what if in that moment, if I were to say, don't mention it, I'm just doing my duty. How would that feel? How would that feel? It would not feel good. In fact, it would hurt very deeply because it would be a very thinly veiled disguise of saying, I'm only doing this because of me. I'm only doing this because of what I'm supposed to be. I'm, supposed to, I'm trying to be a good husband, so I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing it because of your value. You see, what expresses the value of someone, and this is really at the essence of love, what expresses the value, what magnifies their worth, is whenever I'm finding enjoyment in them. Whenever I'm finding delight in something, that's what worship is. It's enjoying something. It's finding pleasure in that. Not in what it gives you, but just that in and of itself. And so for a husband to walk in the door and to say, I've done this because I enjoy you. That's what the expression of the flowers is meant to convey. You fill me with joy. And to the level of joy that you find in something is the level that it magnifies the worth of that thing that you're you're enjoying. So you see, worship is inseparable from joy and delight and finding pleasure in the object. It's just intrinsic to it. So the idea of, praise or worship to God that has no delight in Him, that's merely because you're supposed to do it, that's merely uh, because it's a duty that's just going through the motions, is a contradiction in terms. Because worship is, by essence, a delight and an enjoyment in Him. You see it throughout the passage. Really, it's implicit at the beginning where he says, sing to the Lord. What do you sing over? You know, there's times where you're supposed to sing, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then there's times where you know a song just kind of wells up in your heart. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, whenever things going right and a, your favorite song comes on the radio and you're singing, you know, at the at the the top of your voice. And usually, if I'm doing that, there's nobody else around, kind of like Jerry Maguire. You know how he's everything's going right and he's singing, "I'm Free Falling." You know, Tom Petty's "Free Falling." There, I love that that picture there you sing when your heart is filled with joy in something it's just a very natural reaction so whenever he says sing to the lord that that is worship he is implicitly saying delight in him until it moves you to sing it gets explicit at the end of the passage look in verse 11 let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad, let the sea resound, verse 12. Let the fields be jubilant, then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Do You see how inseparable delight is from worship. You see, he's kind of, at that point, he's turning to creation, and he's saying, creation, teach us how to do it. Teach us how to delight in the supreme value and glory and wonder of the living God. Teach us how to do it. Show us how that our hearts, too, would be caught up with joy and delight and jubilation. You also see it in every every psalm. I'll just prove it by just looking at the psalms around this. Look at the previous psalm. doesn't require you to turn a page. Psalm 95, look how it begins. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. You see how it says that? Joy. Joy is inseparable From worship, look at Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. The Lord reigns, let that reality be something that fills us all with gladness. It's inseparable from worship. Jump over to Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Joy. It must have joy. We must find pleasure in Him. Only then is it truly worship this is kind of common sense whenever you think about it. The reality is whatever you find value in, whatever you take pleasure in, whatever delights you, you're going to praise it. This is all the time happening. You know, whatever you prize, like if you prize your children, how do you know if someone prizes their children? Well, they go about talking about what their children do. Right? You're praising them. Look at this picture they drew. What am I doing? I'm declaring their praises because I find ultimate value in them. What do we do during football season? Football season's almost here and I've got like a a second countdown on my computer. You know, I, I know how many seconds until Georgia kicks off their first game. What do we do whenever we find ultimate value in there? We declare it. We enjoy it. Sometimes too much. So that's the essence, in fact, of sin as we talked about last week is whenever some created thing becomes ultimate value in our heart and begins to displace God from our hearts. You know, anything in your life that you find ultimate pleasure in beyond God becomes an idol and actually begins to destroy you. But the reality of seeing value in something and enjoying it and declaring it and praising it is just automatic because that's what we were created for. C.S. Lewis has a great quote Um, actually talks about this a good bit, just this nature of worship, the nature of praise. I just want to read a short quote of what he says here of helping us to understand this fundamental element of enjoyment and delight in worship. He says this, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment or approval or the giving of honor. I think that's oftentimes how we think about praising God. I, I need to compliment him. You know, sometimes we even imagine that God is just one who's needing compliments. That was the case for C.S. Lewis. He struggled with that. Why is he always telling me to praise him? Does he need compliments? And this this is what he said. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. That's just a fundamental fact about it. Whatever you enjoy, you're going to praise. Just by nature, it's what we're created to do. And he talks about why. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praises of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles. You find yourself somewhere in there. Even sometimes politicians or scholars. It's true. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capricious minds praised most, while the cranks and misfits and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. If you enjoy something, you will praise it. And part of the reason for that is whenever you praise it, it enhances your joy in it. This is not something that we have to be taught how to do, it's something that is fundamentally natural to how we've been created. Whatever it is you find the most pleasure in, that you will praise. Now, here's the main thing to see here about praise and about our relationship with God God has created us that we would find ultimate satisfaction in Him. Alone that he would be our delight that, that that we would find ourselves lost in the ocean of his goodness that that we would be continually rediscovering his beauty and his love, his power, his holiness, the wonders of who he is that that as John Piper says, worship is a feast that we would feast ourselves on the living God and that's what we've been created to do and so unless you begin to feast upon Him, you will not worship. You will not praise. In fact, that just flows from enjoying and delighting yourself in Him alone. But here's probably a reality, I imagine, for most of us. For us so often, God is not a much, as much a delight as He is merely a duty. That, that to think about following God or obeying Him or, or serving Him or all those things, it's far more, if we're honest, about duty. I should do this. I ought to do this. Again, that's not bad, but incomplete in and of itself. That, that's why I think so often, it's why we make such little progress in changing in our lives. It's why so often we find our hearts just cold, cold to God, distant, cold to other people. It's why so often our hearts are just filled with anxiety and fear and bitterness because we are not drinking deeply with great pleasure and delight of God Himself. So here's the million-dollar question. How does God for us move from a duty to a delight? And here's the answer. Beholding Jesus. That's how it happens. Seeing the beauty of Jesus. You know what changes us is seeing glory that that's why anything that we're praising or chasing after in our life we're perceiving some glory and it glory is just weight and substance and wonder and so what we're made to be to behold glory and to enjoy it. so what we need to see is need to see a superior glory, and only superior glory is found in God himself. we need to behold his glory. The Apostle Paul incredibly says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, he says, we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory as we behold the glory of the Lord. That's how it happens, beholding His glory. But then he goes on in the next few verses and he says, for we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What he says is that we see the fullness of God's glory as we behold Jesus. As we see Him in His Word, as we see the, the fullness of His character and who He is and what He's done as we with the eyes of our hearts, as we behold Him by faith, we are changed. When we see and look upon Jesus, we are seeing the fullest representation of the Father. I mean, all the fullness of God dwells in the person of Jesus. And so as we look upon Jesus and as we see His power, the power that speaks to a storm and it becomes calm, as we see His holiness and His righteousness, as we see His love and His mercy and His tenderness, as we see all of those glories, we are seeing the fullness of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we behold that, we are changed. And nowhere do you see more vividly the glory of Jesus than when he's lifted up on a cross. Over and over and over in the book of John, Jesus speaks about the hour when I will be lifted up and and glorified by the Father. And what he's speaking about over and over and over, the moment of his glorification, is the cross the most unfathomable display of His love that we could ever conceive. That He, being in very nature God, would humble Himself to death, even death on a cross. That He would go willingly to the cross and lay down His life for His enemies. That He would bear our curse and our shame and our sin because of nothing in us but purely because of His love for us. As we see the cross, we behold the glory of love that we can see in no other place. And it is in beholding Jesus that we're changed. That's why we go to church. Ultimately, that's the reason that you should go to church. I mean, yes, it is your duty. God commands it. But yet, we should come so that we may behold Jesus. The same reason is for the reason that we should pray, so that we might encounter Jesus. So that we might... Behold the glory of God in His face. It's the reason that we read Scripture. Not just because we're supposed to read Scripture, but we are. But we go to Scripture so that we might see Jesus so that we might behold His glory. And as we say as a church, it is enjoying Jesus that becomes the engine of all of our mission. Because when you see Him and you behold His glory and you enjoy and you delight in Him, it changes you on the spot. And energizes you for his mission in the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, these are these are deep truths and concepts. And the fact of the matter is, we we live in a culture, I believe, Lord, that it's more, it's harder than ever to perceive these realities. We are so inundated with things to behold, things to be entertained with, things to chase after. Ch- things to occupy our time and the reality is we're no closer to being satisfied in fact we're more restless we talked about that last week we need to see Jesus we need to behold your glory and we need to enjoy you more than any other thing in this world by the power of your spirit would you help us to be a community to be a church that is seeking your face that is running hard after pleasure in Jesus. Let it be so, so that we are changed, and so that our worship grows and overflows. In Christ's name we pray, amen.